Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for March 17. My name is John Mason. It's great you could join us. In his introduction to C.S. Lewis's First and Second Things, Walter Hooper tells of the time Lewis asked him, What would you do if you were shut up in a castle with a liberal theologian, anxious to explain away the resurrection, the incarnation, and the virgin birth? Hooper replied, I'm sure I'd go mad. No need for that, Lewis replied. Whenever you have to listen to a liberal theologian explain why you can't believe in some doctrine of the faith, ask him the moment he has finished to repeat what he said. You'll find he won't be able to say the same thing a second time without even greater confusion. Lewis was right, Hooper comments. Exact repetition of nonsense is impossible. How important it is to keep this in mind as we turn to the most well-known words of the Bible, John 3.16. I'll talk more about this shortly. But first, did you miss the recent online Anglican Connection conference? For $30 registration, you can enjoy post-conference access to all the conference in your own time until May 31. Register at www.anglicanconnection.com Catherine Jacob will now bring us a reading from John chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In today's world, God is not so much dead. He is cancelled. He's not to be spoken about. If he is, there's nothing good to say about him. He's uncaring and grim. How different this is from what the Bible actually says about God. Consider the most well-known words in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Yes, God does exist. At the recent Anglican Connection online conference, Dr. Schaefer, one of the world's leading quantum chemists, commented, The laws of nature look just as if they have been selected as the most simple and elegant principles of understandable change by a wise creator. Belief in the decipherability of nature strongly suggests the existence of a cosmic mind who can construct nature 
in accordance with rational laws. Dr. Schaefer also drew attention to the words of Francis Collins, scientific director of the U.S. government's Human Genome Project, on the discovery of the human genome. It's humbling for me and awe-inspiring to realise that we've caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book, previously known only to God. The Bible tells us that God's essential nature is love. In Psalm 145, we read, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His compassion is over all that He has made. The theme of the love of God permeates the Old and the New Testaments. What is more, we find that His love is not sparked by something attractive about us. God loves because love is at the very heart of His being. Now it's very important to note that our English word love translates four Greek words, the original language in which the New Testament was written. One word is eros, from which we get our word erotic. It's a word associated with intense emotional feeling. It's a word that pagan religions have long used, in part as a reference to the mystical experience of the supernatural. One form of yoga in Hinduism exploits sexual intercourse as a technique for achieving spiritual enlightenment. But nowhere does the New Testament use the word eros. It uses a rare word in the original Greek, agape. There are no rapturous, mystical experiences associated with this word. Rather, agape is committed to serve the best interests of the ones who are loved. Furthermore, John tells us, God so loved the world that he reaches out to all men and women. This is breathtaking. God could have shut humanity down the moment of their rebellion. We deserve nothing less. But God and His love had a bigger and a very costly plan in mind that would benefit a world that rejected Him. God gave the world a gift. He gave us His Son. Now John is not saying that God loved the world enough to give us His Son. Rather, It was out of God's love for the world that He gave His Son. In the first instance, this means that the Son personally reveals what God is like. As Jesus later says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. More than ever, we need to hear and respond to Him. But God did not only give His Son to shine His light of revelation into a dark world. The gift was to reach its climax and fulfilment with the Son's crucifixion. God's love is seen not so much in the coming of His Son, but in the death of the Son, the Word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ. This was the action of a holy and just God whose love found a way to forgive rescue and restore men and women who had shown no love for Him. Extraordinarily, God, in and through His Son, was willing to make great sacrifices for undeserving people. 
you and me. We needed a saviour because we are sinners and God himself was willing to take the initiative to do it at great cost to himself. It's here we see the immeasurable depth of God's love. And John tells us of the offer that God holds out so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is contrasted with perishing. John doesn't tell us what perishing is, but it will be a most unwelcome experience. Elsewhere we learn, mainly through Jesus' own teaching, that it is a very serious thing to refuse God's gift. The perishing won't be perpetually partying they will lose everything that is good, beautiful and true. T.S. Eliot put it this way, Hell is oneself. Hell is alone. Life eternal, on the other hand, is the experience and joy of a life that is appropriate in the coming age. It'll be a life of perfection and beauty, where there'll be no more pain or suffering or crying, self-interest or injustice. Rather, it will be the fullness of joy in the glory of the Lord. And John tells us who will benefit. Whoever believes in the Son. To turn to Jesus, the Son of God, and to trust Him is the key to our benefiting from God's precious gift. Have you turned to Christ? Are you aware that at least one in five people around us are open to an invitation to explore Christianity? Pray. The fields are white unto harvest. God can't be and won't be cancelled.
our prayer for this week. Almighty God, grant that we who justly deserve to be punished for our sinful deeds may in your mercy and kindness be pardoned and restored through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. A prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all people, and banish from them the spirit that makes for conflict so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Sovereign Lord God, direct with your wisdom and power the leaders of the nations. Lord, give them such wisdom and understanding that they may restrain wickedness and vice and uphold justice and truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, the creator and preserver of all humankind, we humbly pray for all who are in any kind of trouble, sorrow, sickness, anxiety, or need. We particularly pray for those who lost loved ones through COVID-19. We thank you that a vaccine has now been produced and pray that it will be made available both speedily and fairly so that all peoples and nations may benefit. Father, we also continue to pray for people who suffer because of injustice, poverty, and powerlessness. Lord, enable us to share with others the material things that they need. Most of all, in your great mercy, bring comfort and hope through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died and rose to save us, and give us meaning and hope forever. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, Andrew Pearson, the Dean and Senior Minister of the Cathedral Church of the Advent, Birmingham, Alabama, and Catherine Jacob, a member of the Cathedral Ministry Team. The introductory and concluding music is from the Cathedral under the direction of Dr. Frederick Teardew and Zachary Hicks. John Newton's Amazing Grace is sung by the Chamber Choir of St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Prayers are drawn from an Australian prayer book, 1978, and the Bible reading is from the New Revised Standard Version. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, you can still register for post-conference access at www.anglicanconnection.com.